1207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Melissa, have you ever heard the saying that, that um, there's no such thing as bad publicity? Yeah, I've heard that. Okay, well, the only people who say there's no such thing as bad publicity is people who've never had bad publicity. <laughs> it's not good, <laughs> that, let me right, tell you. That, that, yeah. That's exactly it. Oh, it's great. Your name's on the front page of the papers. Oh, uh, your no. name is the lead story on WTMJ Radio News. Oh, no, it's not always good. No, <laughs> no, not no, good. It, it's not always good. So, I wake up this morning. I get a text from a friend. You're on the front page of the West Bend Daily News. <laughs> no. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Can that be good? Well, that's it. I'm, I'm thinking, all right, the West Bend Daily News, what have I done? I mean, you're, you're on the front page of the Daily News. <laughs> like, and again, I'm thinking, all right, what, yeah, what, what exactly is this? I, I don't, but actually, it is all good. Last night, I, I want to say a very special thank you. Last night, uh, we did a big charity event. It's the Royal We for the Boys and Girls Club, huge fundraiser called the Taste of Washington County at the Washington County Fairgrounds. And what happens is a number of, restaurants in Washington County get together and they they provide samples of different foods they have gosh they, I think last night they had six tables of silent auction things they had a voice auction there were well over a thousand people there there's no the place was just absolutely packed and um, I I am in the paper I'm on the front page of the paper I was serving ribs oh, I was I, like was it at least a good photo oh, well yes <laughs> well it, it is it is there's only so much you can do with me but Did you yes, have a it, barbecue sauce dripping down your chin uh, see it's fun <laughs> Funny you should say okay. that because again, at least for a couple more weeks, my wife's retiring soon. But she's she's the general manager of a restaurant in Washington County, and this is the second year. I love the Boys and Girls Club, and so I go out and I they have ribs, and I, that was it. So I'm at a table. I, I've got my my shirt from the restaurant on, and and actually Fran had told me. Here, here, bib? Where, no, no. She told me wear a long sleeve <laughs> white shirt underneath, not a dress shirt, but like a white t-shirt. So, a matter of fact, she had gone out and bought a long sleeve white shirt for me. And so, five minutes into this, now I, I'm standing there, and, and we are serving ribs. So it's me and like one of these little things, and like these all. I'm up to my neck in barbecue yeah, sauce, yeah. and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, no. okay, yeah. I mean, is is a white long sleeve white t-shirt? Is that really the best thing to be doing this? But I am very, very proud of the fact that I made it through a couple hours of serving ribs with only one teeny oh. tiny stain <laughs> on 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 my no uh, sauce <laughs> no no sauce just one teeny tiny thing that right. you wouldn't have necessarily noticed right um right at the end of the sleeve but i, I got <laughs> oh, through no. it but you know what was so very very cool and and i i say this because there were people that were coming up to me and they were saying they heard me talking about the radio and they they'd never been to the event before and they wanted to come out and they wanted to say hi because they liked the station and they liked the show and so they participated in this event that was very very cool that, may, that makes it all all worthwhile well, I mean, yeah, it was, it was just a, it was just a, a wonderful event so for everybody who came out to the taste of washington county last night i very much appreciate it and yes if you pick up a copy of the west bend daily news that's me you're on, on there on, that me that, that is me on the front page the woman standing next to me by the way is my dear friend colleen not my wife yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> Were you wearing that white shirt with the little dot of barbecue sauce on I, it? I don't. Well, I, I don't know when they took it because oh. I didn't talk to the report. But you can see me. I'm actually serving ribs. So oh, good. Yeah. I'm, I'm figuring, okay, maybe this is the next thing. Because if the radio thing doesn't work out and the law thing doesn't work out, serve I mean, ribs. Serve, serve, absolutely, serve ribs. That's so I, I, I got through it. I didn't. I didn't spill any on anybody else. I didn't drop any on anybody else. One got away from me, but you know that was a one rib. One rib. <laughs> one rib. Well, but you've got to keep in mind, I, I'm yeah. probably I'm probably dishing out over a thousand of these things. You know, so uh, one one kind of slipped off of the yeah, thing. That but rib it, wasn't having it. He was out of there. It, it, right. It was it was the dead soldier. But for everybody who came out there, thank you. And yes, if if you're looking for verification, he says he does these charity things. Front page of the West Bend Daily News. That's me. All right. Let's get started. This is one of these these interesting days because 
There's a lot of interesting stories in the news, but I don't know that there's any necessarily one dominant story. And so as I was preparing the show today, I, it's, I figured, you know, today's going to be one of these days where I, I just I want to talk with you about stories that I find to be interesting and explain why I do and why I think they're interesting and, and see how you react to them. But I do want to start the program with the big story of the day, the continuing saga of Donald Trump. President Trump and ongoing investigations. Now, Donald Trump, before he was president, was a successful real estate developer who had his fingers in many things. There's also, I think, no question that Donald Trump, real estate developer, a lot of times played fast and loose with stuff in an effort to try to get the best advantage he could. And if you read the book, The Art of the Deal, or you read anything about various Trump business ventures, you you, you come away with the idea that sometimes Donald Trump, real estate developer, business person, was maybe a little bit too slick for his own good, and certainly maybe too slick for people who invested money with him. And, and there's a trail of that that leads to various bankruptcies and people you know, believing that they would be taken care of, that they weren't. But, I mean, it, it's the world of high finance, and that's just that is just the reality there. And I don't want to necessarily get into his ethics as a businessman, but there, there's no question he was very, very cutthroat as a business person always looking for the advantage. And some people find that to be a noble quality, others not so much so. He, in effort, his efforts to do this, he surrounded himself with a cast of characters that I think could be fairly described, at least some of them, as sort of shady. You know, he had, he had, was represented by all sorts of law firms over the years, had lawyers doing all sorts of things. A lot of those relationships with the law firms kind of fell apart over fee disputes. You know, they said that he promised to pay us money. He didn't pay him money, and they ended up ceasing the representation. He had a number of characters around him who, again, I, I think the fair to, would be to say shady. They were people who were looking to latch on to powerful, rich people in an effort to try to, you know, use that connection to try to leverage other sort of business. And what Trump, as a business person, did was he used some of these kind of shady characters who were wanted to be attached to him. He used them for some of the more shady sort of things that he decided to do. And I'm not saying illegal. I'm just talking about kind of questionable, shady, whatever. I think shady is the good word for this. One of those guys was this attorney, Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen, who got the reputation for being Trump's fixer, was, generally speaking, not an extremely successful New York lawyer. He was a guy who attached himself to Donald Trump and ended up getting into Donald Trump's sphere of influence. And by all accounts, he tends to be a guy that that, that Donald Trump used to do I don't know, some of the things that maybe some more respectable attorneys wouldn't want to get involved in. And on Michael Cohn, of course, best known for the whole thing with the, with the Stephanie Clifford, the Stormy Daniels situation. Everybody knows that story. Stormy Daniels is the pornographic film performer who says she had a one-night stand with Donald Trump after a golf tournament back in, what, 2007. 
when Trump is running for president, there is a concern that this story is going to come out. And so, and, and again, it's a subject of all sorts of litigation. But what appears to have happened is Cohen, the attorney on behalf of Trump, negotiated this deal where a guy with the National Enquirer pays money to Stormy Daniels in effort to buy her story, and then they call it catch and kill. The National Enquirer buys the story and then decides not to run it. And so now there's all sorts of issues. Cohn has been convicted on a guilty plea of a campaign finance violation in connection with this. It's an ongoing investigation. That is what Cohn is best known for. But Cohn did all sorts of other things on behalf of Donald Trump as well. And this morning, he entered um, what is a surprise guilty plea to something else that he did, what he says, on behalf of President Trump. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about it. Then we're going to open up the phone lines and ask what this means. Stick around. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so Michael Cohen, who was the kind of shady lawyer slash fixer, who did stuff for President Trump that I don't think he could find respectable attorneys to do. Uh, Trump, uh, Cohen, that is, has already entered a guilty plea to campaign finance violations and connections with the the payments that were made to Stormy Daniels to buy her silence or to kill her story. Well, Cohen apparently has now admitted in court today that he had engaged in negotiations to build a tower in Moscow for... Donald Trump, before he was president, well into the 2016 presidential campaign. He said he discussed the project with Mr. Trump on more than three occasions, briefed Mr. Trump's family members about it. He also admitted he agreed to travel to Russia for meetings on the project. And this came as he pled guilty to lying to Congress in connection with this. And again, what's going on is you have this this investigation to determine what was going on with Donald Trump candidate and the Russians in the 2016 election. As part of this guilty plea, Cohen apparently admitted today that he had minimized President Trump's role in efforts to build the Trump Tower in Moscow and gave the false impression to Congress that the negotiations had ended in January of 2016, just before the Iowa caucuses. Instead, he said, no, really, the negotiations continued for at least another five months until June. He um, had told congressional investigators that he had not talked to President Trump about going to Moscow. The trips never happened. Um, He said, I made these misstatements. In other words, I lied to congressional investigators to be consistent with Donald Trump's political messaging and out of loyalty to Donald Trump. Apparently, uh, Cohen has been talking to prosecutors 70 hours, 70 hours over the last couple months. Who talks to anybody for 70 hours? But with these revelations, you now have what some people are describing as the nightmare before Christmas, an attorney who has been intimately involved in your financial dealings, some of which I suspect have been probably pretty sketchy over the years, has now turned state's evidence. Headline on the Drudge Report says, The Rat Sings. All right. For his part, President Trump says, uh, the guy's lying to try to get a better deal. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. 
Can anything Michael Cohn says be believed? And even if it can be believed, does it make any difference at all? Two years or so into the Trump presidency, almost two years into the Trump presidency, is it what it is? Do we care about what happened during the 2016 campaign? Do we care if, while he was still a candidate, Donald Trump was, in fact, trying to negotiate with the Russians to build a Trump Tower in Moscow? Does any of this make any difference to you? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Or is it time for this just to be over? Is this more same old, same old? Or are we looking at smoking guns, which might bring down this president before the end of his term two years from now? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do we care what Michael Cohen has to say? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1223. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Larry in Milwaukee. Larry, good afternoon. How you doing? I'm well, thank you. Do you care about any of this, or is this the smoking gun that we it will bring President Trump down over the next year? Well, I I just want to see the justice done. If if he didn't do anything, he didn't do anything. Just because it's been two years, if if, if if it was done shady and it would have affected him, we should know. If it didn't, we should know that. Then move on, because I'm really tired of it, but I still want to know the truth. Right. You think it's important to get to the bottom of it one way or another and then let the people decide? That's what I think. That's what I think. We need to get to the bottom of it. Just like if somebody committed rape just because the time limit passed, you say, well, just let them go. That's not how it goes. Yeah. So if he didn't do anything, let's move on. If he did something, then he have to face the consequences. Yeah. Now, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. See, it, it, this I find to be extremely fascinating. I said when I was talking to um, Steve Scafidi, when, when you have a guy like Donald Trump, business developer, there's no question in my mind that Trump was involved in all sorts of kind of just dealings that I'm going to describe as sort of a shady pushing various boundaries, and you surround yourself with people like Michael Cohen to help do those type of things. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to end up being criminal, um, although I think a lot of the stuff that's out there is unseemly. At this point in time, I do think you need some some sort of closure on on this stuff. And if it leads back to, you know, Trump Tower and it leads back to the president, then fine, it leads back to the president. I'm still not hearing anything that I think is impeachable at this point in time. But I do think I think for the sake of everybody, it is important to get to the bottom of this, put it out there and then allow us as a country to move on. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Well, well, thank you. What do you think? Well, first of all, I really care what Cohen has to say because he's, you know, he's reputable. As, right. He, he, right. He's, yeah. yeah. It's, you might as well just you know, forget that. I just, I just wish Trump would come clean. Either he did or he didn't. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lights on, lights off type thing. If he did, it happened, before, it happened years ago. Right. And, you know, just let... Let the you know well, wait, it, it be, forward me. I mean, really well, well right, because I mean, I, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think about the, this Trump Tower thing. I, there 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 was no secret 
that at some point in time before the elections, he he wanted, he was looking at building a hotel in Russia. There's nothing illegal about and that. that There's legal. nothing wrong with it. Yeah, and that's what that, that's what he did for a living. Right. I mean, that was his you know that was his business. So, I mean, I mean that's the part that that, that gets that kind of drives me nuts because I think we're all sick of, you know sick and tired of hearing about this whole thing. But it's kind of like you know what either you did or you didn't. It would be nice just to hear him say yes. I, I met with him. I was right. looking at a real estate development out there before I became president. Right. Before I was even running. You know. Right. Yes. And, and so yes. And, or even when I was. Yes. We we continue, Who knew if I was going to win or not during the beginning stages, the primaries. We had all these different business things going on. And yes, I had some people that were negotiating with some people in Russia to determine whether or not this was going to be viable. We ultimately decided it wouldn't have been. But and because I, I think the truth is, if it happened in January of 2016 or they stopped negotiations in April of 2016, nobody would really care. I mean, well, it was, no. And then he, right. could, he, he could use the opportunity to educate the public saying, you know, you don't understand, real estate deals just don't happen overnight. Some of these things are five, ten years in, in process. Right. You know. Right. It, so. It's that, I think, I mean, that's, I, I think, see, that's what has, that's, I think, what's what's bothered a lot of people. I Do I think there's aspects of, of a witch hunt to this thing? And the answer is yes, I, I, I do. At the same time, a lot of this, I think, has been brought on by a failure of the president and a failure of those around the president to be candid about some of these things, which, in all honesty, sometimes I think makes them look worse than they actually are. But you get the, the constant drip, 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 drip type of stuff. All right, look, I mean, I've said this before about the whole Stormy Daniels thing. This, The whole idea of, of buying her story, to me, it never made any sense at all. Donald Trump... Before Donald Trump became president, he, he touted the fact that he was a playboy. That, that he, he did. He would go on radio shows and he would brag about different models and women he was with. Now, is that anything to be proud of? No, it, it, it's not at all. But is there anybody in 2016 who voted for Donald Trump who wouldn't have voted for Donald Trump if it came out that back in 2007 he cheated on his wife and slept with a pornographic film actress? And my response was, no, no, people, people would not have been shocked by that. They wouldn't have been surprised by that. They would have said, well, of course, that's who the guy is but now you find yourself in all this these trick boxes because we try to buy her story and pay her for silence and now we're arguing about is that a campaign finance violation bottom line is i'm very skeptical of anything that michael cohen says but i think for the good of this country we got to get past this and and i think from the perspective of bob Mueller, i think he owes it to everybody to come out with a report if there are charges to be issued issue the charges let the chips fall where they may but I don't want to spend the next two years when we've got all these real problems in this country arguing about stuff like this. And it is the drip, 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 which I think is hurting everybody. It's 1237. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ 2018 marks the 13th year of Kids to Kids Christmas from Capco Metal Stamping and... WTMJ. In that time, we've given away nearly 200,000 toys to kids in need thanks to your generosity. To find out where you can drop off a toy or make a donation, head to WTMJ.com right now. Tomorrow, tomorrow is our first of two live toy drive pickup events. 
we, and it is not the royal we, I'm going to be there from noon until 3, John Recure there from 3 until 6. We're going to be at VMP Healthcare and Community Living in Milwaukee, kind of Milwaukee, West Dallas there. Stop by from noon until 6. We'll have lots of Santa's elves there to help spread the holiday cheer. The folks at VMP Healthcare and Community Living do an absolutely outstanding job. There'll be buses of school kids. They always have all, they have the place decorated outside. It's a winter wonderland. Um, they always have food and all sorts of great stuff. So stop off. If you come by, be sure to say hi. I'm going to be positioned in our big talking box right off the right off the main driveway so we get to watch everybody come in and drop off toys. And I have always, always, always been blown away by your generosity in responding to this e- event. It is amazing <clears throat> to me how how people continue to lose sight of the fact that in many cases it is it's the cover up. And what you do afterwards that, that ends up bringing you down. There, there's been a couple of specials lately on on Watergate and on the Clintons that, I, that I've been watching. That kind of is a refresher course. Watergate, of course, was the the thing that led to the impeachment of of then President Nixon and ultimately him resigning. All right, Watergate was a burglary conducted on behalf of the reelection campaign of Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon as the president did not know about the burglary in advance. This was something that other people had cooked up. Richard Nixon found out about the burglary a couple days, a day or two, maybe three, after the burglary occurred. And instead of standing up right then and saying, these people did what? Every single one of them is fired. Let's get the FBI in here. You know, let's get the U.S. Attorney's Office in here. Everything we know about these people, fine. You know, we're going to, we're going to tell. We're going to let the chips fall where they may. What do you mean people acting on behalf of my reelection campaign were involved in burglarizing the Democratic National Committee and trying to plant bugs? Who thought that was a good idea? Instead of doing that, Richard Nixon engaged in th- this long-scale you know, cover-up with all the different aides to try to hide the fact that the White House had been involved in this. I- if Nixon would have said, heads are going to roll, <laughs> you did what? Everybody that's involved with this is gone. Well, he, he would not have been forced out of office. Might have been embarrassing for a time, but, but he didn't do that. It was the cover-up which ended up, you know, ending his presidency. And that has been a lesson, I think, from t- since that time. People need to realize it's the cover-up in many cases, which ends up being worse than the act. Which brings me to a story that is breaking. You will, you, if you, if you watch the network news channels tonight or the cable news channels, you, you will see a lot about this. It's, it's a huge story. In the New York Times today, it involves the former CBS executive, Les Moonves. He arguably, up until him being forced out, was perhaps the most powerful executive in television. He, he ran he ran CBS, and he ran CBS for a long time. His wife is Julie Chen, who you know hosts, or I'm not sure if she still does, but she hosted a show on CBS, and she did the Big Brother things and all that. But, but Les Moonves was one of, for decades, 
the most powerful people in Hollywood. And he's gotten caught up in the whole Me Too thing with various women coming forward and saying that he you know, sexually harassed them or assaulted them or whatever. He has stepped down from CBS. And CBS has now been in undergoing this investigation to determine whether or not they have to pay him $120 million. See, he had a contract with, with CBS. But the contract... And this is the way lots of contracts work. You know, the, your employer can, can get rid of you. They can say, okay, we, we don't want you here anymore, but, but you have to pay the, the person. That, that's fine. You know, you don't, don't, want me to do, don't want me to do my thing. That, that's great. I'll, I'll go away, but you've got to pay me. However, many contracts have clauses where if you've engaged in misconduct or things like that, you can be fired. And if you can be fired, then they don't have to pay you. And that's what's going on now. Moonves is out at CBS, but the question is, do they have to pay him the dough that they owe him? We're talking about a bunch of dough, $120 million. Well, in any event, th- this, is, this is the story that is coming out. The headline is, and Jordan, who's producing the show today, for, again, as I said at the start of the program, anybody who thinks there's no such thing as bad publicity has never had bad publicity. The headline in the New York Times is, if Bobby talks, I'm finished. How less Moonbees try to silence an accuser. <laughs> you know, right. All right, so long story short, it's a 15-page article, but here's what they, they say happened. Before Moonbees was at CBS, he was in charge of Warner Brothers Television. Now, there was a time where Warner Brothers Television was the most powerful thing around. They were the they were the TV show Warner Brothers Studios were producing like ER and Friends and all those types of shows. That he was in charge of all that. So I mean, he is a very very powerful. He's in charge of this studio. And and he's he's the boss. So if somebody if he finds for example, even though he's not directly he's not directly the guy that's directing or writing or producing the ER the show ER, but He's in charge of the studio. So if he finds somebody who would be, hey, I think this person would be great for a part on ER, all he has to do is call the producer and say, hey, you know, put her or put him on, on ER, and, and, and you get those jobs. So in any event, the, the story is that back in March of 1995, this young aspiring actress goes and, and has an, an interview with, with Les. And um, apparently Les, Les had asked to see her, movies had asked to see her, and had contacted her agent. She goes in, she thinks she's going to, it's kind of an introductory thing, and essentially her story is he forces her to have oral sex with him. That, that's, that's his story, her story. His story is, well, I think it was consensual. <laughs> My recollection is it was consensual. Consensual. Okay. No, not, regardless, something happened in the guy's office in March of 1995. She leaves. This is the actress. She leaves. She is unhappy. She calls her agent. She says, I want nothing to do with this guy. I don't, don't send me on interviews there. I don't care. I'm not doing anything. Period. Boom. I'm done. All right. So this is back in 1995. So this story has been out there for a long time. What happens then is last year, all these stories about other women who say that Moonves sexually assaulted them, harassed them or whatever in when he was at CBS, they start to circulate. And a reporter for The New York Times 
gets gets wind of the fact that there's a story floating around that back in 1995 at Warner Brothers there might be this actress who had this similar sort of thing happened happened and they start nosing around trying to find the actress long long story short the agent for this gal now she's out of acting you now she's moved somewhere else she's married etc the agent reconnects with Les Moonvies, and then there's this story, and there's all these emails back and forth about, hey, you know, maybe you need to try to find some jobs for my clients, and maybe you know, this, this gal is interested in getting back into acting, and maybe you should find a job for her, to which there's this ongoing trail of emails, well, maybe I can get something going, etc., etc., and it, it looks to all the world like the agent is kind of blackmailing the executive, um over, hey, you better do this, you know, if you want to keep her quiet, that's kind of the implication of some of this stuff. You know, if you need to keep her quiet, maybe we better find her a job or something like that, to which this executive is is going along with all this. And now all these emails have become public. But again, it's I bring this up because it's another one of these stories about where the, the cover-up is, again, what is going to potentially take you down. If the story comes out that when he was working for Warner Brothers, you know, Warner Brothers Studio in 1995, that he had sexual contact with this woman, a casting couch sort of thing in 1995, that's not going to be a basis in 2018 to cancel his contract. It wasn't something that happened when he was at CBS. It really has nothing to do with what went on at CBS other than the fact that maybe it might be like an other sort of act, but it happened a long, long time ago. So it's not going to be a basis for CBS to say, hey, we found out that when you were at another job 30 years ago or 20 years ago, you engaged in this conduct. That's not going to be a basis to fire him. If it turns out, though, that because he did that in 1995, in an effort to try to hush that up and stop that from coming out, he then started to try to find this gal or other clients of the agent's jobs at CBS using his power at CBS to try to get these people put on t- TV shows so they don't talk about it. Yes, that that then becomes a basis to, again, find that you violated your contract, etc., the cover-up and the efforts to cover up the 1995 Act is what gives them a basis, arguably, if it's true, to say we're, we're not going to pay you off. Now, the bottom line is, again, just like Donald Trump trying to conceal and hide allegations that he had a one-night stand with some porno film actress in 2007, just like that is coming back to bite him in the behind here in 2018. This is just another one of these examples. If if the guy at CBS, Les Moonves, would have said when this first came out, look, I, I mean, yes, something happened between us in 1995. I don't, I didn't force myself on her. This was a voluntary sort of thing, and I'm sorry, and I got to deal with this with my wife and all. You know, th- then is it embarrassing? Yeah, it's embarrassing, but that it seems to me it's the end of it. It becomes a much bigger story when you decide you're going to try to. All right, how can we get her not to talk here? Yes, I'll try to see if I can find. Um, her jobs and the agent who knows about this. I'll try to see if I can find your other clients, other jobs. That That's where it gets dicey. When will people in power learn that it's the cover-up that in many cases is worse than the act itself? 
1240 H.F. Wagner, WTMJ. You can read all about this in the New York Times, and I guarantee you this is going to be all over the news shows today. Just another one of these head scratchers about the dumb things sometimes that men do. It is 1240 H.F. Wagner, WTMJ. 1251 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Reading between the lines, you have to wonder, is it is this it for Tom Barry? Is that loud, quacking sound you hear coming from City Hall the sound of a lame duck mayor? Quack, quack. Tom Barrett's been the mayor since, what, 2004. He's up. If he were to run again, he'd be up for re-election in 2020. Last June, he told his supporters he was running again. But but you got to figure he's going to say that because once you say you're not running, you become this lame duck. It's tougher to get stuff done. There, It's very difficult. In, in Milwaukee, the residents of Milwaukee don't toss out mayors. They, they, just, they just don't. Mayors generally speaking, leave of their own volition or sometimes get run out of or get run out on the rails, but they, they don't just lose elections. And, you know, Barrett's the, perhaps the latest example of this. Why do I say this? Well, Ashanti Hamilton, who is the head of the Milwaukee Common Council, he he's now announced that he is forming his own fund. He's filed papers which will allow him to raise money for a mayoral run. The campaign contributions, the amount of money you can collect if you're running for alderman is one thing. It's I think it's like $770. If you're running for mayor, people can give you up to $6,000. So Hamilton has now filed the paperwork. He has created the committee so he can raise money, and he has these higher levels for raising money if he wants to run for mayor. What is interesting to me is that Barrett and Hamilton have been allies, really. My, my understanding is they're personal friends, but I've been told that they are, they've, they've been allies. And you wouldn't think that Hamilton would take this step unless, well, unless there was something going on, unless he had some assurances from Tom Barrett that Barrett, you know, wasn't going to be running again. Now, again, maybe Barrett's going to decide, yes, I, I'm going to run, and Hamilton won't collect any money, et cetera, et cetera. But you wouldn't think that you would go ahead and take this step at this point in time unless you had gotten some pretty strong signals that maybe Barrett was done. And the truth of the matter is Tom Barrett's had a really good run as the mayor of the city of Milwaukee. There's all sorts of, of problems that have come up lately. You've got the whole crisis with the health department, et cetera, et cetera. He's got the first phase of his trolley built. You're not going to get more anytime soon. Maybe it is time for the mayor to ride off into the sunset. Now, if that happens, I want to offer some just some just brief political advice to Ashanti Hamilton. The picture that is all around today that's been sent out on all the social media things is something that that Chris Abley sent out the other night. Now, Chris Abley, who is, of course, has all this inherited money, really, really rich guy, right? Just buying a mansion on Lake Drive for $2.6 million. And I, don't get me wrong. I'm not a class warrior. I've, if you got the money, spend it. Do things you like. Chris Abley has these really great courtside seats for the Bucks. Actually, they're like the best seats in the house. Courtside seats. Jordan, who's producing the show, you ever sat courtside at a Bucks game? Never. You say never. No, most people would, would say never. I've done it a couple times. Years and years ago, I have a very, very close friend who's an attorney in town, and before he got married, <laughs> before he got married, he used to, he had two courtside seats to the Bucks games. This is probably 10, 12, 12, 14 years ago, and he, he shared them with the CEO of a prominent local company. But he got two courtside seats to like 20 games. 
And every once in a while, he traveled a lot. He couldn't use them. So every once in a while, he'd give me the courtside seats. So, and I got to tell you, that, that's cool. But even back then, these courtside seats were like 300 bucks a piece. You know, it's a, that's 14 years ago. So I have no idea what they are now. Probably extremely expensive. My quick story about courtside seats, I'm at one of these games. And it's the Bucks playing somebody. And I'm, I'm nicely yelling at the referee because these players are traveling. I mean, they're just carrying the ball. I keep yelling, traveling, traveling, traveling. True story. One of the timeouts, the referee comes over to me. I'm in the courtside seat. And he says, <clears throat> how much do these tickets cost? And I said, about three, this is during a timeout. I said, 300 bucks. And he said, did you really pay 300 bucks a seat to watch me call traveling every time these guys do it? Honest to God. True story. I said to him, I get your point, but maybe just calling it once would be nice. Honest to God. Next pl- series of plays, a minute and a half after this, he calls traveling on a guy. And smile, <laughs> he's going back, he smiles at me, and I'm up there applauding. Honest to God, true story that happened there. But I, I, but th- so it's, courtside seats are really, really cool. All right, but I've been thinking about this because the, th- this is the picture that's all that out after the story is that, you know, Hamilton is taking his first steps to run for mayor. He's sitting next to Chris Abley, and then there's two other people that are there. Um, they're in these courtside seats, front row. And I guess my only message to, to Ashanti Hamilton would be, I don't know if you really want to be the the mayor and you look at all the problems that the city of Milwaukee has and all the issues with poverty and all the issues of of unemployment, all these different types of things, is, is your optic that it's going to be you and Chris Abley hanging out in the front row at courtside seats at Milwaukee Bucks games. Now, I'm just, I just kind of throw that out there. And again, I'm not a class warrior. You know, if, if Chris Abley wants to buy tickets or Ashanti Hamilton wants to buy tickets and sit in the best seats at the Bucks game and you can afford it, God bless you. I, I think that that's absolutely great. I take my hat off to you. I admire that. I'm just saying if you want to argue that you should be this man of the people and you are sympathetic to the needs of the community, Hmm. Maybe courtside seats for the Bucks isn't the best optic. Just saying. 1257, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, let me start off this hour with something that we can all agree on. Yes, there there is, I think, something that's out there. We might disagree about whether or not Tom Barrett is willing to pull the plug or whether or not it's good optics for Ashanti Hamilton to be sitting with Chris Abley in the front row at the Bucks game as a man of the people. We might disagree about the effect of Michael Cohen turning rat on Donald Trump is going to have, but this is something we can all agree on. Ready for this, Eric Bilstad? Okay. Okay. All right. I, I don't think anybody can argue about this. Boys and girls are built differently. With me on that? I'm with you, yeah. Okay, all right. See, now, right, right, exactly. Right, everybody, you know, can I get an amen? Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, boys and girls are built differently. Boys have boy parts, girls have girls parts, right? Okay. So let us start with that premise. I want to tell you this story. I'm going to share a letter that that somebody has sent. But here's the deal. It goes back two years ago, and there's a gal who at the time is a junior at her high school, it's called Boyerton High School. It's in Boyerton, Pennsylvania. She walks into the girls' locker room, getting ready to change for gym class. And in the girls' locker room, she looks over, and there is a naked guy. Um, we're talking about all the boy body parts, naked, in the locker room. She goes, oh, my God, there's a naked guy in the girls' locker room. So... 
She turns around. She runs out of the locker room because there's a naked boy in the girls' locker room. She goes and she says she goes to like one of the teachers. There's a naked boy in in the locker room, and they said, "Oh no, that that's that's so and so. Um, he he identifies as a girl, and so we're allowing him to change clothes." in in the girl's locker room because he, he identifies as a girl. And she says, well, what do you mean he identifies as a girl? He's got boy body parts. Nope, th- it doesn't matter. He, you know, we don't want him to feel isolated or ostracized, so we are allowing him to choose which restrooms and which locker rooms he uses or she uses to change in because even though it's a he physiologically, um, identify as a gal, so, you know, she... He's the child, the student feels more comfortable changing clothes in the girl's locker room to which the girl says, well, that's all fine and good about him. But what about me? <laughs> I mean, I don't feel fine and good about, uh, you know, as, as a 16 year old girl getting naked in front of, you know, together with a, a naked 16 year old boy. Well, he's not really a boy. He identifies as a girl. So we're allowing him to do that. All right. So it goes back and forth. And it turns out that the school, without telling very many people had adapted this policy that they will allow students who identify as a different gender, they get to pick which bathrooms they use, and they get to pick which locker rooms they use. So this young lady, together with several of her fellow classmates, gets together, and they end up filing a lawsuit. And it goes into federal court, and they say, hey, you know, you're you're denying us our rights by by allowing people of different genders to, you know, change clothes in the locker rooms. It goes in front of a judge, federal judge for the Third Circuit. Federal judge says, nope, you know, you, you've got no case here. You're going to lose the rights of the transgender student trumps trumps your rights to be comfortable in the locker room. Get over yourselves. So they appeal it. It goes up to the United States Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit. Court of Appeals, they agree with the the lower court they say no they, these students they don't have any sort of legitimate beef at all you know it's it's their problem meanwhile the attorney for the civil liberties union of pennsylvania is criticizing these kids who have filed this lawsuit saying that they are anti lbgtq extremists you know who who how dare they deny the rights of the physiological boy to change clothes wherever he wants. And if they're uncomfortable, too bad, they need to get over it. Well, the development in that story is that these kids have now filed a petition to the U.S. Supreme Court to get the Supreme Court to hear their case and decide once and for all whether there's an absolute constitutional right for people to be able to, I don't know, change clothes, decide what decide what locker rooms, for example, they use, and to be able to determine their gender. And the Supreme Court's going to be deciding relatively soon whether they take up the case or not. Now, I, I, I bring this up because the young lady, and now she's graduated, but the young lady who was at the center of this, the one who walks in the first day and sees some naked guy physiologically in the locker room, she's written an opinion piece in USA Today. And I want to share that piece with you, and then we're going to open up the phone lines, and we're going to talk about it. Here's what she writes, and her name is Alexis Lightcap. 
my high school's transgender bathroom policies violate the privacy for the rest of us. She says, few students ever dream that they'll sue their high school, but that is exactly what several of my peers and I had to do. Our school is Boyerton Area High School in Boyerton, Pennsylvania, and my reason for suing was to restore the bodily privacy we used to enjoy in locker rooms and restrooms on campus. Now we have asked the Supreme Court to review our case. I'm okay with the school district's desire to hear voices other than mine on this issue, but I have a voice, too, and Boyerton officials have little interest in my perspective. They didn't even bother to tell me or other students that they had changed the school policy to allow students to choose their locker rooms and restrooms based not on their sex, but on their belief about their gender. The moment I walked into our girls' restroom and found a boy standing there, I turned and fled. Uh, the school's surveillance video caught me running out. I tried to get the attention of administrators to explain them to, to them how uncomfortable and scared I felt sharing the girls' restroom with a boy was. They wouldn't listen. The principal simply wrote down my concerns on a post-it note and said he'd contact me soon. He never did, she continues. My parents were no less than shocked by this policy. Boyerton officials kept it a secret from them, too. The administrators never sent home a memo saying that from now on, our school locker rooms would be open to students based on what sex the students believed themselves to be. Instead, our parents first learned of the policy when I found a boy in the girls' restroom and when others, like my classmates, identified in the suit, were changing clothes in the boys' locker room and looked up to find a girl changing clothes beside them. Hollywood movies and TV shows try to make that kind of moment sound funny, but in real life, it's embarrassing and unnerving. Locker rooms and restrooms are supposed to be a refuge for students, and adults too, for that matter. As a woman, I go through those doors looking for privacy, not to find a guy look at, looking back at me as I'm changing my clothes. As a former foster child who bounced around through the system, I know what it's like to be seeking an identity and trying to come ter- to terms with who you are. As a black girl who grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood, I I know what it's like to be treated unfairly, picked on, and made fun of by insensitive people. I won't accept being bullied or discriminated against, and that absolutely includes my classmates experiencing gender dysphoria. They deserve our love and respect. Even so, my privacy shouldn't depend on what others believe about their own gender. Why? She, this is her writing. Why is it so hard for school officials to understand that young girls care about the privacy of their bodies? It's natural for us and our parents to worry about who might walk in on us in a vulnerable moment. The school, school bureaucracy has no right to say my privacy is irrelevant. I had once lost my voice in the foster care system, and I was again losing it in my own school. School officials withheld information from me and my parents that silenced me by ignoring my concerns. Fortunately, my parents also taught me to speak up for myself. I found my voice through this lawsuit. I recently graduated from Boyerton Area High School, so I'm not taking the stand just for myself. I'm speaking for my friends and my little sister, all of whom are having their privacy interests ignored by their own school, a school that should be protected everyone's privacy and so then it goes on but she's essentially saying look I, I mean I'm being accused of being this hater but the truth is as a as an adolescent teenage girl I have certain rights to privacy too and that should include the fact that you know I get to change clothes or go to the bathroom with people of my same gender 
414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, th- this group has lost. Th- these kids have lost in federal court so far, but they are asking the Supreme Court to take the case and decide this once and for all. Here's what I want to discuss with you, and I understand this was a hot issue a couple years ago, but it, it, but it is back now to the forefront with the possibility that the Supreme Court will take the case. Is this is this young lady all wet? I mean, she says, hey, I walk into the bathroom, my friends walk into the locker rooms, and, and we're confronted with guys, guys that are there. And we are uncomfortable with this. We think that, you know, if you want to make accommodations for people who are, uh, again, going through you know, gender issues or, or whatever, that's fine, but it shouldn't come at the expense of our privacy. 414-799-1620. And think about your own situation. Um, ladies. You're 16 years old. You walk into the high school locker room to get ready to change, and there is somebody who is anatomically a boy with boy body parts standing there naked changing. I mean, is is it your problem? You, you take ladies. You take your daughter, for example, into the sauna at a health club or whatever. It's you and your daughter. You go in. And you find somebody with boy body parts there in the sauna. All right. Is that your problem that they're there? Or should they have do they have an absolute right to be where they want? Or is this a larger issue? Do you have privacy rights? 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 118, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 122, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You know, I mean, I, I understand that we need to be progressive in our thinking. But, I mean, here's a, a high school girl who says, hey, I walk into the restroom and there's a guy there. And it made me uncomfortable. Other other classmates say, hey, we we walk into the locker rooms and there's somebody from the other gender that's standing there naked. We are uncomfortable with that. They file a lawsuit. They've ended up losing. But the Supreme Court might very well take their case. And you know what? I hope it does. Marsa in Brandon, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. I am so upset about this. This girl is 100% right. The whole situation is wrong on all four corners. I think if and when a guy decides to go into a girl's bathroom, it, it causes problems. He, he could be a pervert. Mm-hmm. And I think that when he decides to go through a sex change, any, that, that's the time then he might be able to go into the girl's bathroom or locker room. Well, see, and I, don't, I think it even goes farther than that. I, I don't know that you, you even have to say the guy might be a pervert or whatever. I, I think it's just a question of... I can understand how a 16-year-old girl would, for example, be uncomfortable getting naked next to another 16-year-old who is physically a boy. I mean, I yes. I, I get that, and 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 maybe, and I, I think I'd probably switch that around too. I can understand how most 16-year-old boys would probably be a little bit uncomfortable getting naked in front of 16-year-old girls, regardless of how they self-identify. A girl because of the, again the physiology, and I think I agree with you. You go th- you go through the transformation. Okay, well that that's a whole different story, but. As long as you got those body parts, doesn't that, at least for the purposes of the locker rooms, make you either a boy or a girl? Yeah, you don't belong there. Um, no, thanks for calling. I, I, I guess I, that's that, that's to me. Bathrooms are maybe a more difficult situation because you've got a different degree of privacy with the stalls and stuff. But as far as locker rooms, I, I guess, and, and I, believe me, I don't, I don't think of myself as this hater. I, I think that they're. You, you have to balance different needs. And this idea that people have no interest in 
in the, the difference in genders anymore. And that if, you know, you walk into that sauna and it's you, mom, with your eight-year-old daughter, and, you know, you're there in the sauna, and there is, you know, some 24-year-old person who identifies as a female but still has that boy body part that's there showing it for God in the world, it's your problem. You know, I don't buy that. I, I just, I flat out don't. I think people still have their own privacy rights, and I think it's especially true in public schools. 414-799-1620. Frank in Green Bay. Frank, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, I can't believe, I cannot believe how intolerant this young lady is. I mean, doesn't she understand that this young man should be able to identify what he is and just go wherever he wants? Yeah. Well, that's kind of the, and, and it's and it's her problem if she is uncomfortable or or many of her friends are uncomfortable. This is the natural progression of the idea that what you identify with or how you identify is somehow okay. This is this is what will occur. This is what has occurred, and to the extent that there's a lawsuit that's been filed, frankly, I'm surprised, but I'm not surprised. And as an end note. If it was that easy, I would identify as having a full head of hair and be a lot better off. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for the call. Well, I mean, I mean here, here's a text here. Um, when I was 16, this is from a female, when I was 16, I didn't even like to change clothes in front of other girls. I agree wholeheartedly with the students that are fighting this policy. Now, look, I... I I can I, I think that there's things you can do. I am not completely and totally unsympathetic to the the child that has the, these gender issues. To me, the simple thing to do, and and except everybody, particularly in this case, um, on, on the left side of this issue, wants to dig in and say, well, these people have absolute rights. The simple thing to do is to have sort of like sex-neutral bathrooms and sex-neutral changing areas for people who, uh, again, are uncomfortable in this situation. So uh, a special area. But people argue, well, they shouldn't be singled out. They shouldn't have to go to this special area. There's a stigma to that. Well, all right, no, to me, that's how you balance this out, the rights of in this case, the, the child who has a gender identity that's different than what their gender actually is versus the rights of everyone else, including all those people who, again, the 16-year-old girl or boy who might be uncomfortable getting naked in front of somebody who, at least gender-wise, is a member of the opposite sex. Don't they have any rights as well? That's the issue. I hope like heck the Supreme Court ends up taking this case because I think some of the lower courts have gotten it completely wrong. On the other hand, maybe maybe the Constitution will be interpreted to say you have an absolute right to use any sort of facility you want based not on what your actual gender is, but how you identify. Maybe that's where we've come to. I don't think so, but I hope the Supreme Court takes this case. This would be a great one to decide this issue once and for all. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Green Bay Packers and the Cleveland Browns both hold four six and one records. Both are heading in seemingly different directions. Who's got the bigger upside as a team right now? This is, by the way, a fascinating thing. I mean, the, the question is, if let's say Cleveland is looking for a new coach at the end of the year, is the Packers is looking for are looking for a new coach? 
What's the better opportunity? You know, interestingly, believe it or not, a lot of people think it's the Cleveland Browns. Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconio debate tonight on Miller Lite's Packers Playbook, live from Buckets Pub in Racine. Tune in at 635. They do a great job. It's 135. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, a quick reminder, 2018 marks the 13th year for Kids to Kids Christmas from Capco Metal Stamping and WTMJ. Over those years, thanks to your generosity, we've given away almost 200,000 toys to kids in need. To find out where and when you can make off a drop off a toy or make a donation, head to our website, WTMJ.com, right now. Don't forget that tomorrow, I and my colleague, John McCure, and our engineer, John Tyler, always say hi to John, we will be live at VMP Healthcare and Community Living in Milwaukee. We'll be broadcasting the shows from the Big Talking Box. They do a great job at VMP Healthcare. They have they set up a Christmas Wonderland and school buses full of kids come over and they bring toys and we've got lots of Santa's elves and I don't know exactly what the plans are yesterday for tomorrow, but normally they have like carriage rides or hay wagon rides or things like that. It just it is a very cool experience if you happen to be in the area. Be sure to stop off, drop off a toy, um, come over and say hi. Like I say, noon to 6, help us spread the holiday cheer. Right right before the break, I, I, I asked Melissa about hitchhiking. And the, I, I bring this up actually because it, it's a story that has a good ending. And, and I don't know all the circumstances, but um, we had been reporting, well, for at least a limited amount of time since last night, that there was this 15-year-old girl who had gone missing um, from Oneida. It it was a search that the Dodge County Sheriff's Department was was undergoing was undertaking. Apparently, it was a 15 year old girl. The story was she reportedly took off from her family late Wednesday night at a country corner gas station in Lamira. According to the Dodge County Sheriff's Department, around 1 a.m. Thursday, the Sheriff's Department was dispatched to the Valley of Lamira village of Lamira to help search for this girl. She was last seen walking in the area of Interstate 41 and State Highway 67 between 11 p.m. and 12 a.m. She was seen wearing a white long sleeve shirt, etc., etc. There were footprints in the snow. They believed that she had might have been picked up by a passing driver. So you have this 15-year-old girl that I don't know what the circumstances were, but she walks away from her family at this you know, gas station by the freeway, and she presumably gets picked up by by a car. Now, the good news about this is that um, she she's been found. Um, she's been found, and she is in fact um, safe. Don't know again the, the circumstances that that caused her to walk away. And I, I don't know for certain that she was hitchhiking, but it doesn't sound like she was abducted. It sounds like she walked away and was looking for a ride, and somebody stopped and gave her a ride. Which got me thinking about a conversation I was having with a couple friends of mine, both male and female, last week. There was a time when it was not unusual or uncommon for people, both male and female, who wanted to move from one place to another to simply walk to the side of the road, stick out their thumb, and hitchhike. And that, matter of fact, I know, I know people back, back in the day, you know, when I was in college, I know people who would routinely do that. That's how they got 300 miles from school 
to, you know, where their home was, they hitchhiked. And I know women who did that as well, male and females who actually hitchhiked. And that was the idea. Hey, you know, we'll go out the highway, we'll stick out of the thumb, truck drivers would pick them up, whatever. That's the way that people got around. Not everybody, of course, but it was not uncommon to see people hitchhiking by the side of the road. You almost, I don't know if you ever even see that now. Um, obviously, there are concerns. There are concerns. Gee, there's a lot of weirdos out there. You know, would anybody do that? You know, you put out that your thumb. You don't know who's going to be picking you up. The flip side of that is from the perspective of a driver. You know, would you ever pick up somebody by the side of the road who's out there hitchhiking? I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is our number. That's the Acunet Mortgage um, toll-free talk and text line. Would you ever pick up somebody who was hitchhiking? And again, at my age, I'm I'm not going to be out there hitchhiking unless, you know, maybe I'm walking by the side of the road if the car's broken down or something. But even then, I've got the cell phone. Chances are I'm going to be calling someone. But if you were driving around and you saw that there was somebody hitchhiking, and again, I'm talking about somebody that you do not know. You know, it's one thing you're out there and you see the neighbor's kid who's walking down the side of the road for whatever. It's one thing to pull over and say, hey, hey, Frank, you know, hi, it's me. It's Mr. Wagner. You, I'm going home. Do you want to ride? I'm, I'm talking about, you know, you see a stranger by the side of the road who is trying to hitch a ride. Would you ever, 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 ever think about picking them up? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Bill in Mount Pleasant. Bill, you're first. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. I, I've done both. Um, this is a problem. Oh, God. Uh, a couple of years after Disney World opened in Florida, I hitchhiked with a friend from Oshkosh to Florida okay. and back. So you're talking about probably the late 70s, early 80s, I would guess. Yeah. Huh? Okay. Yeah. And I also uh, had a real strange experience. I picked up somebody in lacrosse at an entrance and took them all the way to Oshkosh, but he was psychotic. Okay. When, all right. When, what, I got to ask you, what possessed you to try, what possessed you to hitchhike from Oshkosh, Wisconsin to Orlando, Florida and back? That's what people could do at that time. You know, I mean, we just, we took our chances, but there will be when you're with a friend, you know, you feel pretty secure. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a strange trip because one of the guys took us from Indiana from I-65 and told us right out that he was a diamond smuggler. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. I mean, it, it, yeah, it goes on. I mean, he had a knife in the car, picked up another two guys. Uh, they stole the knife uh, from him, and he actually was letting me drive because he was too tired. Okay. Did you? All right. Would you, okay. You you did that back you know thirty plus years ago. Would you yeah. Would you ever pick up somebody now? No, no, okay. because I had this really. Uh, I picked up a guy from Lacrosse right. that said that the uh, FBI had uh, taken him and did a brain operation, left a piece of metal in. And uh, that uh, he would need to walk by a garage door, it would open, and yeah. and he was actually going to go, go to the uh, who's it the uh, 
center, the far right wing, you know, thing yeah. saying that if they would protect him. All right, thanks for going. No, that, that, that's great, but I tell you, hopefully, hopefully that plate in his head wasn't like making your garage door go up and down. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But I appreciate your perspective, Bill, because there was a time, and I understand that maybe if, if you're below a certain age and you're listening to this, you're thinking, "What is this guy on the radio talking about?" I mean, yeah, I see it in the movies that people hitchhike, but they didn't really do it. Well, the truth is, lots and lots of people did it. Would you ever pick up somebody today, Kathleen in Fond du Lac? Hi, Kathleen. Hi, good talking to you. What a fun subject. Would I pick somebody up? No, because I'm an old lady. However, back in the day when I was in college, uh, this would be in the late 60s, I did hitchhike from Oshkosh, Wisconsin to Peoria, Illinois, and back. And one of my friends and I hitchhiked all over the Milwaukee area. We would hitchhike home. You remember Marty Zipcoe's? Sure. We'd hitchhike home from Marty Zipcoe's. It was a kinder, gentler time. We never had a problem. Okay. Do you think That's- it was a? Do you think it was kinder, gentler, or maybe you just you were just kind of lucky and didn't know some of the stuff that you, you could happen? Yeah, or, or stupid, stupid, right? Yeah, <laughs> got it. But and- we made some good friends. Seriously. And fortunately, there was no problem. I advise my granddaughter not to do that. Got it. Uh, right. Don't 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 do as grandma did. Do as grandma says, huh? Right. And it, but it is a trip down memory lane. It was a lot of fun. It, it, I think things are okay. Well, I mean, this is this is where we're going with this. I mean, is it really that much different? Is it that much different in 2018 than it would have been in you know 19 you know 80 or 19 you know 70? I mean, is it really that different, or were perhaps the people who did that just not not as aware of the dangers as they might be? All right, would you pick up a hitchhiker today? 145. Jeff Wagner. We'd continue the conversation in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 147. Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff. There's currently a young man vlogging his hitchhiking adventure across the USA on his Twitch channel. Huh. <laughs> I tell you, there, there's nothing private anymore. And it's amazing how easy it is for him to pick up rides and get offered places to stay. That, that's interesting. I, I bring this up if you're just tuning in. There was a, a report last night. 15-year-old girl walks away from her parents at a, at a convenience store up in, in Dodge County it sounds to me like she, and then the reporter is a missing person. It sounds to me like she hitched a ride with 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 someone. Don't know for that for sure, but in any event, she she's been found. She's safe, so you know all's well that ends well. But I, it, it got me thinking about hitchhiking because over the last couple of weeks, I've been talking with a couple of friends. We were actually discussing that that hitchhiking at one point in time was a way that people, particularly young people, got around this country. You know, would you ever do it nowadays? Would you ever pick up a hitchhiker? 414-799-1620. Karen in New Berlin. Hi, Karen. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> Fun topic. Thanks. Would you ever do that? Or would you ever pick up a hitchhiker? Well, I did 25 years ago when I was in college, um, partly because my parents were very generous, and I, I felt I should um, share the fact that I had a car if somebody, you know, was obviously in need of getting somewhere and they were hitchhiking, then I would help them out. Mm-hmm. And I I actually stuck my thumb out to hitchhike um, when I was in the Alps, the Swiss Alps, and a guy picked me up on his motorcycle and took me for a fantastic 
um, trip through the Alps and then returned me to my spot, you know, 15 minutes later. <laughs> Did it ever occur to you that this might not be the smartest thing I'm doing? I mean, I, I, I don't know who this guy is. I don't know how this could turn out. Yes, it did, but um, all three times I just had a very good feeling, you know, that, that this was an okay thing to do. And the two guys that I picked up who were hitchhiking, it was interesting. One um, even had like a spiked collar on his neck and punky hair, and he was like all goth and black, you know, but, um, you know, dressed in black. But uh, he was late for an AA meeting, <laughs> was so grateful for a ride uptown, and Another guy looked really panicked, and it turns out he was trying to get to a job interview. So oh. I was so happy to help them. <laughs> would you ever do? Would you do it today? No, neither. I wouldn't pick anybody up, or I mean, it, it would depend on the circumstance, probably. But um, I'm I'm not as uh, um, right. Not not quite as brave. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Thanks for calling. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's talk to Joe in Sheboygan. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Joe. Hi. I I hitchhiked across Canada. Well, this was 1973, and I hitchhiked across Canada, up the Canada, and across to the West Coast. And that, you know, you didn't really, you know, you're saying, would you pick someone up, or, you know, you're... Mm-hmm. People, people are pretty nice actually. Mm-hmm. When you get out there and actually meet them, you know what I'm saying. No, no. Well, I think I, I think I, most I don't people think are. Have changed much either. Right. I, I think I think it would be harder to get a ride though. I'm telling you, I I often thought about it. I'm 65 now, and I thought about if I retraced my footsteps, you know, like I did then. Right. Now, I would think uh, I might, it might take me months to get to the West Coast. You know, well, like no one would pick me up. Well, no, I, I think there, there is. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, w- would you pay? All right, so let, let's say you're, you're, you're driving around tomorrow and you see a couple of young people with their thumbs out. Are you going to pick them up? Uh, probably not. Yeah. That's why I say it would be much harder yeah. to get a ride now. No, no, thank, thanks. And again, I, that, see, that to me it, it is an intriguing question. And I, I I don't know that I have an answer to it. Is it is it in fact more dangerous now to do this? Are because I, I agree with what you're saying, Joe. But look, I I believe peace, people are basically good. I, I I just that that is that is my belief. Now that isn't to say that there aren't some people out there who are very very bad. And the question is, you just don't know, you know, when that car stops or when that person puts out their thumb, you don't know whether you're going to get that one person that is that bad person out of maybe 50 or, or whatever. So, I mean, I do wonder, is it is it more dangerous now than it was, or are we just maybe more cautious? Have we become more timid moving forward? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, see, Bob in Oconomowoc. Hi, Bob. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Thanks for the fun memories. <laughs> well, hopefully they're fun. Yeah, <laughs> they are. Uh, like other people, mid seventies, um, high school. My dad raised me, and he taught me how to hitchhike because he was a U.S. Marine, and he said, "Always wear a uniform or something nice. Sure. Always and always smile, no matter what the weather's like. Don't look like you're woe is me." Right. And uh, it worked well. Hitchhiked a lot between the university at Madison and Waukesha and hitchhiked a variety of other places. And, you know, as an older person, um, 
my wife now doesn't want me to pick up hitchhikers. Right. Um, and I promised her I would with our nice car. Right. But but, but if I, it if it wasn't for your wife, you you think you'd still pick oh, up hitchhikers? Well, I still do in my old truck <laughs> okay. if I have my dog with me. Okay. Interesting. I, I th- and once again, you look for somebody. You can tell if they're if they're like all down and out. Woe is me, or you know. You know, some people just need a ride. Oh, oh no! I mean, thanks. No, I mean, I, I, I understand. I, I just, I, you just don't see this as, as much anymore. And I think one of the reasons is that I think there's fewer people who decide that they want to take this route because they're concerned with who might stop that car. And I, I think, candidly. I don't think there's that many people out there that you're just going to stop and, and give people rides if they're walking down the side of the road. Again, assuming you don't know who the person is. Now, here I have a text, Jeff. I have a friend who picks up hitchhikers on a regular basis, even with his family in the car. Side note, I spent a summer on Hatteras Island. I hitchhiked all the time, and I picked up hitchhikers all the time. It was a way of life there. Now, I, I mean, I guess I can, I, I can see that. There might be, there, there might be some places I'm, I'm thinking – Okay, I go to Key West, you know, in February. I'm thinking, okay, Key, well, I mean, Key West is so small, it's only a mile by three miles. But I, I mean, I, I could see that there might be certain areas where it is, like Hatteras Island, where, where it might be a, again, kind of like this way of life. But it, but in general, I think it's a way of life that is disappearing. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Amy in Wauwatosa. Amy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Great. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, did you ever hitchhike or pick up hitchhikers? I've never hitchhiked. Okay. Like, well, yes, I did, but that was a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, really a long time ago. But I just recently, last winter, picked up two young girls, um, like on Blue Mound. There's that academy, and they were maybe not even half a mile. Mm -hmm. It was freezing, freezing cold out, and they weren't really dressed appropriately for our winter, and they're... Their English was a little, you know, stilted. Right. But I and I, I said, get in, because they they flagged me down, and I said, I'll give you a ride back to the to the school. But you, you girls, you you can't do this. Right. You got to dress properly. Right. <laughs> if you're going to walk around, um, you're lucky because it's me. Right. But I just felt because I've got daughters, and I thought, oh. Right. Right. Gosh, and they and they had flagged you down for a ride. Yeah, they were standing right there at the stoplight, and again, it was right. less than a half a mile. Well, you but, know, um, no, you know, it's interesting, Amy, because that—that's a. There, there's also a gender difference there. I will tell you, as my perspective as a guy, there, there is even under those circumstances, there is, there's no way that I'm giving. You know, if it's just me in a car as the guy, I, there's no way I'm, I'm inviting like two young girls into the car because you just, right. you, you, I mean, right. it, and again, it's. I have no evil intent in anything, but I next I, I'm just picturing somebody saying, "Oh, there's this creepy old man that picked up these two girls," and you know, and, and it's it, well, it, you know, thanks for calling. No, it, it is. I I I've told this story before, but I years ago, um, my, my dentist, who is a friend, he has a, a very distinctive last name. I was driving. This is when I lived in Whitefish Bay, and and I'm I'm driving home, and I see a couple of these girls coming from soccer practice or whatever, and they've got like. They've got their sweatshirts with their name on the back. And one of them has the name of my, my dentist. I assume it's his teenage daughter. And I was thinking, I mean, I knew where he lived. I mean, she doesn't know me. I was going to stop the car and then say, hey, I'm so-and-so, 
you know, your you know your dad used to work with my, my used to work with my mom. This is who I am. Would you like a ride home? I used to I thought of stopping the car, but I'm I'm just picturing her pulling out a whistle and blowing this whistle. And next thing you know, the Whitefish Bay cops are jacking me up for trying to you know you know grab grab some teenage girl. It, it's it you know those are the things that go through your mind as well, which is another reason why you just you, you just I would never do it. I just, in today's day and age, I would never do it. I hope that doesn't make me a bad person. But again, if it's somebody you know, yes, I guess there's just so much that can go wrong with that. Even though I agree that most people are good people, I, I just there's just so much that could go wrong with that. No, I don't think I'd ever stop my car either. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I'm sorry, we got jam phone lines. We're going to move on in the next hour. Lots more stuff to come up on the program. 157, this is Jeff. 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Melissa, when you first started doing radio broadcasting, my guess is one of the first things, one of the rules that you were taught, because it was certainly one of the rules I was taught, was that when you are around a microphone, you always treat that microphone like it is live. Correct? 100%, yes. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and no ums. That's right. Learn that too. No ums. <laughs> well, I, I don't know that I could help that, but, but that, is, that is one of the things that you learn early on. Broadcasting 101. You always treat a microphone like it is a live microphone. Doesn't matter. Now, we have all these different, we have these buttons that come on when the microphone is live. We have these things that are up on the wall that flash and say on the air. But doesn't matter. You are taught early on. You you, you just never, the light bulb can burn out. Somebody could flip a switch. So don't say anything that, that if, if you wouldn't say it when the microphone was on, and you're in the studio or around the studio, don't say it when the microphone is off. Good advice. All right, now it gets a little bit trickier when you are out and you are doing remote broadcasts. For example, tomorrow, I'm going to be in our, our giant talking box, the, the mobile broadcast facility for the Kids to Kids Christmas thing at VMP Manor Park. And the way that works is we have, I, I'm on the road, we have a connection to the studio. And I, I don't have as much control. And for for at least portions of the time, the the feed between the big talking box that I am in and and the studio. So what I'm saying in the box oftentimes goes back to the studio. And so now the producers back here, you know, they're they're supposed to make sure that they have the microphones, the thing off so that but but they can hear what I'm saying in the studio, so but in, in the big talking box. So I don't even have that control. So you learn really really hard that you know you don't even have that control of it. So don't say anything when you're on the remote broadcast because you, you just don't know for sure whether it's shut off or not. You learn that type of thing. At least you you would think that you would learn that type of thing, which brings me to the story that I want to discuss with you next. One of the reasons. Let me kind of back into this. Having done this, you know, commented on events for for as long as I, I have, one of the things that I have found is that, well, I I don't have as many friends as I used to have, and and part of that, part of it is because it it, it it's sort of what what happens naturally that if you do what I do for a living, I you you have to call them like you you see them you you do. And and one, what what that means is occasionally that there will be people that you like personally, or that you agree with that you know do something that you you don't think is the right thing, and, and you have to call them out. One of the things that I have found over the years is that if you have 
you know, really strong relationships with, with people who are newsmakers, for example, it it's tougher to call them out when you do something that, that when they do something that you think is wrong. And over the years, the way I personally have kind of dealt with that is I've kind of pulled back in personal relationships with newsmakers, with people that I talk about, which isn't to say that you don't know people or it's not to say that if you see them out and about, you might you know talk to them. But a, a lot of the newsmakers and stuff, I, I just I don't have intense personal relationships with because it's harder to. It, it's harder to criticize them when they do things you disagree with. And I, I found that's just one of the ways I've dealt with it. I've, I've sort of pulled back in that type of thing. It's also very difficult in the world, and the story I'm going to talk to you about comes about world of sports. If you cover a team, and, and I don't care what the, what the team is, whether it's a college basketball team or a, a pro baseball team or whatever, it's very difficult in some respects to to criticize that team because you're around them all the time. And, you know, if you're perceived as one of these people who's constantly going to be ragging on the team, that word gets out and nobody wants to talk to you and your sources dry up. At the same time, though, you, you always have that there's always that pressure to be true to the listeners. So, for example, if you're a color commentator on a on a on a baseball team and you have a player that is just you know, just not playing well and making dumb mistakes. And it's not just physical stuff, but they're doing stupid sort of things. And everybody knows that. And people who are watching on television, for example, can see it. And and you don't call them out. You just kind of pretend this isn't going on. Well, then you you kind of lose your audience in, in a way because the audience will say, well, why isn't Jeff saying what all the rest of us see? It's a difficult balancing act. Which brings me to the story. There's a guy named Gary Dolphin, and he is and has been for the last 22 years. He's been the the voice of the Iowa Hawkeyes men's basketball team. So he's he's their commentator. Well, here's what happens. Um, <laughs> he has now been suspended from calling the team's next two men's basketball comments. So here's what, what's going on. He's doing... Tuesday night's game, and you've got Iowa is playing Pittsburgh, I I think. Now, he takes a commercial break. So they're in a break. You know, he's, he's, he's at the basketball game. They're at a break. He thinks his mic is dead. I mean, he thinks the mic is turned off. The mic is not turned off. So what he's saying is going out over the air. He doesn't know it because somebody has failed. Somebody somewhere in the chain of whatever has failed to flip the switch. He doesn't know it, but he thinks it's off. Now, this isn't a case where the guy launches into a profanity-laced tirade or anything. But what he does is he starts talking to his color commentator, the guy that's with him, who's a former Iowa basketball player. And, again, they think they're off the air. They don't intend this to go out off the air. But they start talking during this timeout about how Pittsburgh's guards are playing better than the Iowa guards are playing in the first half. And the guy, this is the commentator, now he thinks he's off the air. He says, how do we not get anybody like that? He's referring to one of the Pittsburgh players. It's just year after year after year. Go get a quality piece like that. Just get one. They've got three or four. So he's complaining about the guys. Um, That goes out over the air. And then his commentator says, yeah, go get a piece like that. Then he goes on, and he, he singles out one of the, the guards. Um, there's a guy who, one of the guys who wasn't playing particularly well, 
And, um, you know, he, he went on and he called him out and he said, look at that guy. We get, and then he gives the guy's name. He said, you know, the guy dribbles into a double team with his head down. God. You know, so he's talking about it and he thinks he's off the air, but he's not off the air. He, he's on the air. So this goes out and you have all these people are saying, oh, here, here was this guy. Here he is. He's ripping on, you know, the team. And we know he didn't think he was on the air, but he's ripping on the team. How can you let him do it? Iowa has now suspended the guy for two games, two games for making comments critical of the team. Right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, the man, the, the, the commentator, he wasn't obscene. He probably wasn't saying anything that any Iowa basketball fan listening to or or watching the game wasn't saying my god look at what that guy just did but he said it didn't intend it to go out on the air but he said it it was critical of the team and now they have suspended him for two games did iowa overreact 414-799-1620 that's the accurate mortgage talk and text line when you listen to a sporting event college pro whatever you know would you like some candor from the people that are calling the game? Or is something like this, again, over the top? Did Iowa overreact by suspending this guy for at least two games because of this critical thing he said? God, Pitt's guards are better than ours. Look at this one guy. My God, why? <laughs> we've got him. All right. Should he have been suspended for saying that? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. 216, Jeff Wagner, WTM. It's 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. What, what I'm intrigued by the, this story is that I guess the question is, from 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 perspective of those of us who are sports fans, who are listening to radio calls or TV calls of, of our teams, I mean, do do you want the announcers to be honest? Now, in this case, I was telling you about the Iowa basketball guy. that the, the commentator didn't even think he was on the air. But, I mean, he does make – so that's a mistake, and obviously my guess is some heads are rolling, some engineer somewhere, some producer somewhere probably got fired too. But the guy off the air, he says stuff that's, that's critical of the team. My gosh, the Pittsburgh guards are so much better than ours. Why can't we get a guy like this guy? You know, they've got three or four of them, and we've got so-and-so. All right, is that something that, that somebody should be suspended for? Do you want – I mean, or, or do you do you appreciate to a degree some candor from the the announcers that are covering the team? If if you've got players that aren't playing well or whatever, is it fair to call them out? Is it different from college to pros? Let's talk to Jake in Menominee Falls. Hi, Jake. Hi, Jeff. Um, sorry, a train is going by <laughs> right as I get home. Sorry. Um, I, I'm a very large Iowa fan. I was watching the Pittsburgh game. Uh, and I heard the open mic when that occurred, and he was saying nothing that I wasn't thinking to myself. <laughs> they had tremendous uh, freshmen, and Iowa's recruiting freshman class um, was epitomized by a guy dribbling with his head down into a <laughs> double team. And so 100% justified in what he said. It is unfortunate that it was an open mic, um, but there was way worse things that I was thinking <laughs> and that I was saying in my own home. Well, well, right, and and, and, and let me ask you this, Jake. If if let let's assume that that he said it during the broadcast. Let's assume that he said something like that effect of, "Look, this is the third time in a row that so and so was dribbling with his head down and just dribbled into a double team. They've got to stop that." Would you know, as a as a fan, are you going to be offended by that? Should Iowa be offended by that, or is he just calling it like he sees it? 
Absolutely not. I think he was calling it like he sees it. And um, I think even for him to say, he, he was very complimentary of the Pittsburgh uh, right. recruiting class. And he wasn't critical of the Iowa class um, by right. any stretch of imagination uh, during the broadcast. But he was pointing out, you know, here's our freshmen. And our freshmen were playing well. Right. He was just pointing out how much better that Pittsburgh <laughs> class was. And, hey, it wouldn't it be nice if every once in a while we got a class like that? Well, well, that would be pretty cool. Well, right. No, th- thanks for calling. I mean, look, I, I went to I'm – a, I'm a huge Marquette basketball fan. And um, I'm, I'm thrilled, by the way, that – you know, with with us being with TMJ being acquired by Good Karma, that you know we I, I, I get to chance to reconnect with my old friend Steve True, uh, Steve the Homer True. We we worked together twenty years ago, you know, up up the dial, and I, I get a chance to see Steve once in a while. We we've seen each other occasionally over the years, but I, I just I have the greatest respect for him. I think he's incredible talented. Okay, so he he called, and so I'm I'm thrilled by the way that we have Marquette basketball on ninety four five our the the FM station. So I I'm I'm thrilled by that. So I mean, he calls Marquette basketball. Okay, well I I was I was at the Marquette game on Tuesday night. Marquette had a big win, so it was great. But but there were certain plays where I mean they were throwing it around. In my opinion, sitting where I was, like like I, I'm watching. Oh my God, I can't believe you just made that pass. It's the third time in a row you tried to do that, and it's the third time it's been intercepted. What's going? And and so if now if Steve would have said something like that on the air, it's no different than what I'm saying when I'm in the stands, and it's it's just it's kind of that that candor. But I understand you you always have to walk that that fine line. Can you get carried away? Particularly, I guess yes, it's true when you're talking about like college kids as opposed to the pros. But I think. I think fans of teams are smarter than maybe some of the teams give them credit for. And this guy from Iowa, I, I don't, I don't think he said anything that was that bad that warranted a, a suspension. Strikes me that the team is being incredibly thin-skinned. Jack and Mequon, Jack, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff, thanks Hi, Jack. for taking my call. Sure. Hey, yeah, I just wanted to touch base uh, a little bit on that. Um, I think this goes just a larger issue of just some contention with, uh, you know, with Gary Barta, the AD, and uh, with Gary Dolphin. Um, I think just from the comments your previous caller said, there's nothing really egregious. Um, he's make, basically making some pretty good points as far as what's happening. You know, sure, uh, it's one of those things that you have a live mic, and that's never uh, a great situation. He probably felt a little embarrassed about that. Sure. But there wasn't really anything that was overly, um, you know, terrible about things he was saying. Right. The thing that was odd about, if you look at the presser from it, was I think, you know, the suspended for two games, um, I think that was appropriate, but I think there was also a comment made that kind of alluded to that there has been tensions or something of that nature building over the last couple right. of years, and something that he can take time to reflect and work through those issues. I'm not sure just from a PR perspective how on earth you release something like that and then, you know, just kind of throw that out there. I think when you look back at the tenure of Gary Barta with Iowa Athletics. There's so many things that he just handled so poorly that yeah. I think there's just something deeper in, in that. Stuff. Yeah, it, right. Could right, right. Could be. I mean, maybe there. I mean, maybe there's been other similar sorts of things like that as, as well. I just, I, I guess, to me, the larger issue beyond just the whole Iowa issues is what. What do we as fans want when we're listening to to a game? And I guess, I, I think within reason, there, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of. Of candor. Here's a uh, Justin sends me a text. Although the sincerity and candor of the broadcaster is refreshing, like the kneeling NFL players, he mildly disrespected his employer, the team at Iowa University, and thus they have the right to discipline him as an employee. Well, I don't know. I, I guess d- did you did you disrespect them? Do you disrespect your employer by saying? 
gee, the, these these other these other th- this kid keeps dribbling, for example, into double teams. Um, he look, he's drib- he hasn't figured this out. They, they, you know, the other kids, they're freshmen. They they do it. I mean, are you really disrespecting your employer? Um, here's a text. They should call it like they see it, good or bad. I really don't like it when I see a play that somebody obviously messed up on, and the announcers don't call them out for it. It just sounds so fake and like they're pandering to the home team. Yeah, I think sometimes these these teams are are oversensitive, and I think if look if, if you're a fan of the team, you understand when things are going well, and you understand when things are going poorly. And I, I get that you know announcers or commentators can go overboard, but I don't know when when I when I do a radio show, I. I, I want to be fair, but I also want to be candid about the, my takes on things and my impressions on things. And that's what I think you have the right to expect if you're listening to my program or you're listening to other people. You, you want to hear the comments or our opinions. And I, I think the same thing should be true to a degree in the world of, of sports as well. And I, I guess I, you just wonder where that limit and where that level comes from. Can you not be honest? 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, let me give you some good news. If you are a beer drinker and you are a fan of Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, and who's not a fan? Jordan, you're a fan of Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, right? Yeah, he says you know it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like Pabst. I like Schlitz, by the way, too. They brought back the Schlitz, and it's the, it's the version it used to be when I started drinking beer. Absolutely love it. There has been kind of a nasty lawsuit that was with the jury, um, involving Pabst and Miller. Pabst is, of course, not made in Milwaukee anymore. That's, that's a great tragedy. But what happens is Pabst, the people that own Pabst, they're out of Los Angeles. They contracted with Miller to brew Pabst beer. So now Miller Coors brews Pabst beer. What happened was Miller essentially announced that they were going to terminate their contract with Pabst. They were going to stop brewing the beer. Miller says that they wanted to close some plants. They didn't have the capacity to do it anymore, and they would have to triple the price of the beer, that the cost that they charged for brewing the Pabst beer. Pabst sued, saying, hey, if you triple the cost, you're going to put us out of business. You really do have the capacity. You're just trying to drive us out of the market. Okay, so the case went to trial, and yesterday, while the jury was deliberating, what happened is they came in, they reached a settlement. That That's rare. It, it, I mean, it, it happens, but it's rare. But anyhow, they reached a settlement. They haven't announced what the details are, but the report so far is that at least for the foreseeable future, Miller Coors will continue to brew Pabst. So Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer is not going away and the guys that I hang out with on Sunday afternoon watching ball games up at that little dive bar, and the owner always hates it when I call it a dive bar. But I say, well, look, I love dive bars. I'm a dive bar kind of guy, right, Melissa? I mean, it's just, you are. I, I know that's it, okay. It, it is. I mean, it's two dollar paps, for example. You feel I mean, comfortable? It's like you're at home. Absolutely. I don't say it like it is a bad <laughs> thing. But the all. owner will say, "You call my place a dive bar," and I say, "Well, look around. Come on." But I like dive bars. I'm comfortable in them. But anyhow, everybody that's sitting there drinking those two dollar paps, well, they're going to continue to make them for the foreseeable future. That's good. Two thirty five, Jeff Wagner. WTMJ. So I started off this program yesterday. I was um, I, I was up at a fundraising event for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Washington County. It's called the Taste of Washington County. They do it every year. And um, what, what they do is they have a number of restaurants that come together and they, they serve food. And number a number of you came out and said hi. I appreciate that. And I was with one of the restaurants and I was I was serving ribs. Actually, picture me on the front page of the West Bend Daily News serving ribs. Try and I, I was very proud of myself because my wife said you have to wear a uh, you have to wear a long sleeve white shirt. 
And so I'm wearing this light, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm serving ribs. This probably this this could be a recipe for disaster. But I was very f- proud of the fact that you know hours of serving ribs, and I only got a little bit of sauce at the very tip of of one of uh, the sleeves. I was very very proud of myself. But okay, so they also had this silent auction. So I'm wandering around, and I, I came back, and I said, okay. Um, all I got to say, honey, is it's for a good cause. And she said, what did you do? And all right, so I, I've told this story before. I'm a fan of Big Boy, you know, the, the old Big Boy restaurants. And, you know, with the you, you have years ago, years ago, there was this thing on eBay. It was like an eight-foot-tall Big Boy, like one of the things that used to have outside the restaurants, the Big Boy restaurants, you know, with Big Boy with like holding the, the, the hamburger, the sandwich and stuff. And I wanted it. And it was like on eBay for five or six thousand dollars, and it was like an eight foot tall thing, and God knows how many hundreds of pounds it were. And I, I wanted to buy it, and I, and then my my wife at the time, my, my late wife, said, "What are we going to do with it?" I said, "I don't know, but this is really cool." I said, "Well, let's let's put it let's put it in the flower bed, and we'll put up lights on it and stuff." And she said, "Yeah, the neighbors in Whitefish Bay are going to really love that." And I got that look that all you women learn from your mothers, that look that I married a moron. I mean, I, I understand it. So last night, I'm walking around, and they have this silent auction thing. And I come back to my wife, and I say, hey, I found this, I, I found this thing. And she said, what did you do? And I said, well, you remember I've always wanted a big boy? And she said, don't tell me you bought the M&M guy. Okay, so at the silent auction, they had like, like the M&Ms, like the talking candies from the commercials, they had, they had one of these M&M guys. And it was about like four feet tall and he was holding over his head uh, a thing of where they had all these m&ms in it and stuff and and i thought it looked really really cool so yeah i, I said to her i said well hon it's it's a really good cause it's and how much did you pay for it i said well i i paid enough to make sure that we're you know that we're going to get it and she said you, she said this is that big boy thing too you, you really bought one of these where are we going to put it i said i always think it would look great in the foyer and i'm watching this look of horror come across my wife's face and i said no no hon i i i'm just kidding but i really like this i thought that would be pretty cool and I think she said, uh, yeah, well, she, I, I, well, you can buy whatever you want, but I was trying to figure out where in the house it was going, probably either in the basement or upstairs in your office. You do what you want. But I ended up not getting the M&M guy. But, but it got me to thinking about the, the big boy thing. I was a huge fan of, of big boy. I was also a huge fan of, of Barnaby's. And I, I've told this story before. There there used to be – Barnaby's was a, a – kind of a pizza chain and they used to be all over there was one in glendale and i remember we used to go to that all the time and i just have these really fond memories of it so a few years back there's like one or two barnaby's restaurants left in the country and one is right outside the arlington horse track and in, in right outside of chicago and my brother and i and and some family members we went down to that and we insisted okay we're going to the barnaby's and so we went over to the barnaby's restaurant and it was exactly like it it i remembered it being in 1972 although all i'm going to say is my tastes have apparently dramatically changed since 1972 and all our family members like my niece and nephew and everybody's kind of looking at us like this is something that you guys have been raving about so it did change dramatically It, it just wasn't quite the same now i bring this up because there is a huge story in the Wall Street Journal two days ago, the headline is, they were huge names. What happened? And it focuses on three chain restaurants that were big at one point in time. First is Shakey's. Jordan, do you remember Shakey's? Shakey's Pizza. Shakey's was founded in 1954 in Sacramento, California. 
at its peak, there were 350 Shakey's Pizza units across the U.S., including lots in Wisconsin. You know, the signature of the Shakey's thing was they, they had, you know, you, you had employees in like the straw hats and all. It was kind of like an old-time ice cream parlor, except it was a pizza place. Um, 350 units. It's now down to 60 units. Competition, essentially, from all the other pizza chains sort of, I mean, drove it, if not out of business, close to being out of business. The second chain that they focus on was Ground Rounds. Now, I remember the ground rounds as well. When I was in college and stuff, we used to hang out. There was a ground round on Port Washington Road and Silver Spring. They'd have live music. They had peanuts, etc. Ground round was founded in 1969 in Illinois. Um, at its peak in 1989, it had 219 units. Now it's down to 22. I think there is a ground round out in one of the hotels off of um, Moreland Road in, uh, in in Brookfield. Okay, so ground round. And the third that they focus on is, is my favorite, Big Boy. Um, Big Boy was founded in 1939 in Cincinnati. At its peak, it had 210 units. Um, and it was, at one time, Big Boy International was a chain of chains, 34 different names. Like, for example, in, in Wisconsin, or at least around here, was Mark's Big Boy. Um, so you had the, the big boy chain, depending on, on where, what part of the country that you were in, 210 units. All three of these, Shakey's, Big Boy, and Ground Round, to one extent or another, are starting to make a bit of a comeback. You know, they have not gone away, and they're all starting to expand at least a little bit. All right, our number, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, like I say, I had this rude awakening a couple of years ago because I have these really, really, really fond memories of Barnaby's when I was a kid. And when I went into this Barnaby's restaurant in in, in Arlington, Illinois, I it, it it brought back memories. It looked the same. It smelled the same. My guess is some of the booths hadn't been changed since the 70s. It, it was the place... That I remembered, but maybe it's that you can't go home again. It was completely, it was what I remembered, but by the time I tasted the pizza and had all the stuff, it was extremely disappointing. All right, so ground rounds, shakies, from Big Boy. I mean, if they bring them, is there, do they have a chance for success? And if they bring them back, are we going to be disappointed? Is it going to be like I was with Barnaby's? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Would you like to see some of these chains or perhaps other chains that you remember big time from when you were growing up? Do you think that they would be able to make a go of it now in 2018? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. We're going to discuss this in just a minute. We'll have some fun on a uh, Thursday afternoon. 243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, I should have bought the M&M guy last night. All right, uh, let's see. uh, Jordan says, Jeff, for your information, a house on Lake Drive in Cudahy has a big boy statue, plus lots of other iconic paraphernalia in their yard. Must be a family of convenient, uh, of of kindred spirits. It's exactly right. Okay, now here's somebody sent me a text. Um, let's see. There, there's one of your big boy statues. It's on. Uh, it's 
It's on eBay right now, $2,600. Yeah, 414-799-1620. Shakey's, Ground Round, and Big Boy are all starting. These are franchises. These are chains that were big at one point in time. They're all starting or trying to make comebacks, some more successful than others. Shakey's now has 60 units across the country. Ground Round, 22. One, of course, is the one in Brookfield. Uh, Big Boy, they 210 units at their height. Uh, but they're 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 over a hundred now. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's start with Doby in Kenosha. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi Jeff. Loves your show, and this Thanks. is a great topic. Thank I, you. I travel in my job. I, Michigan has quite a few big boys. I make it a point to go there whenever I'm there. And it's interesting. These have a comic book. When I was a kid, they had the big boy comic. Right. Book. Right. The one the one over on Fort Washington Road. They'd have a contest, and and you'd have to draw a picture of certain things. And one month, it was a building. Any building, from an igloo to the White House or anything. I was about 12 years old. I drew a picture of a big boy restaurant, and it won the national competition. So I still have it to this day. That was in 1975. What did you win? What did you get? Do you remember? Yes, it was a a, a professional artist kit of brushes and paintings. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, pretty cool. But well, uh, Big Boy's great. That, that flavor of the, of the sauce on the Big Boy I, hamburger is addictive. I, I love it. I, no, thanks. I, 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 I love it as well. They had at the, the Marcus movie theaters, the one out, what do they call it? The Majestic, the one in Wauwatosa. For a while, they were serving. They had the big, maybe they still do. But I don't, I'm not sure. They, they used to have the, the old Big Boy on, on the menu, and I would get that from time to time when we'd go there. Jay in Madison. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. The one I would, uh, I remember all three of them, but, uh, I don't even know what ground ground serves, but, uh, Shakey's Pizza, we used to have one in Madison, and I remember once a month, us kids and the family would go there, and they had a bench right by the window. We'd all stand up there and watch them throw the crusts in the air, and, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, they were gone before I had my kids, and I would have loved to have taken them there, because that was a, big thing with us yeah so and you think i mean if they if they brought that back are we too sophisticated for that nowadays or do you think if they brought it back it would find an appeal among i don't know teenagers and and people in their 20s now i think it'd be more for those smaller kids because the teenagers they would just be on their phones sitting at the benches waiting for pizza um, yeah, they, right. They, well, there there is an element of that. Let's see. Here's a text. My wife and I were out east uh, this year, and we ate at a rare Big Boys. I think it would be good if they made a comeback. On our way out of the restaurant, I saw a heavy rubber pigger, piggy bank, which now sits on my counter at home. Yeah, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Jeff in West Bend. Jeff, good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, there there, there just has to be a key part of it, though. You, I know you remember Suburbia. Suburbia, and, right. Well, when they came back, the taste is exactly the way you remember. The smells, the restaurant, the style, everything. But nowadays, the youth is different. You yeah. got If they bring back Shakey's, they bring back Big Boy, yes, they're awesome. But you got to bring back that taste, and you got to do something like on your menu, have the old and the new or the past. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, you're catering to the new people, their younger people, because, you know, you have to have like an original or something so that the kids can taste. I mean, even our music's coming back to the kids today. Right. Well, no, I think, I mean, I, I thanks for calling me. I think you're on to something. I mean, there, see, I think there's a market for this stuff, and I think the market is, is beyond. 
simply nostalgia. I am being swamped with text messages of people who who have found big boy porcelain statues all over. I, I love it. I just I don't have a place to put one nowadays. So if my wife happens to be listening or people who are listening, I, I'm I'm past that. But um, still, I, I think there's I, I think there's a lot of potential for this stuff that's out there. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Rick and Mequon. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, hey Jeff, how are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, these restaurants—they're trying to make a comeback. Do they have a chance? Well, the last caller was said the same thing uh, that I was about to say about suburbia. You know, Jeff, we're, we're about the same age, I think, and I—I mm-hmm. I was at that the same Barnaby's. Uh, <laughs> we may—we may have been uh, in a Jason booth at some right. point, but I, I would love to try Barnaby's. And I, I'm sorry to hear that your experience wasn't good because I, it just it was some great pizza and great memories. But right down the street, remember, was suburbia, and right? That was, you know, that, that was our first experience with subs, and I was so excited when the suburbia came into Mequon. And I, first thing I did is I just talked it up with my kids, and I said, "This is the greatest sub ever. You're gonna love it." Took them there. They <clears throat> took a couple bites, and they just looked at me like I, yeah, you know, four eyes or something. They just, they, 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 you know, they just, this yeah, they didn't get you love. right, you know, yeah, and they just. It lasted six months, and it was gone. Yeah. No, th- you're, you're right. Thanks for calling. Cause, I mean, right. The, the Suburbia made a brief comeback. I don't know if they still have one in Wauwatosa or not, but it was it, – it, 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 I mean, I think it's different. I mean, maybe people are saying, oh, it's, it's got – Maybe it's just, or maybe our taste buds teach treat us differently. Like I say, I, when I went to the Barnabys, it, it I think it was the same as it was when I was going to the ones in 1972. I just think it's like, huh, this this pizza does seem familiar, but I, I just I don't I don't know why I thought this was so special. Maybe it was just that 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 point of time. And again, maybe I'm being too hard on it. It, it could very well be. Rich in Greendale, Richer on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Rich. I used to work at Big Boys when I was in high school as a busboy. Okay. And even before I worked there, um, I mean, the kids, we'd go there uh, after a basketball game or football game and grab a sandwich. But I used to love Big Boys. They, their brawny lad sandwich, uh-huh. big slice of raw onion. Right. Fantastic. And buckets of fish on a Friday night, reasonably priced, great. Okay, so if they if they were to bring back big boys open like standalone big boys restaurants nowadays do you think it would succeed is there a market for that um i think it might be a niche market i don't know i i think people if they try it and they kept true to their menus and maybe add a few new things yeah i think it would go yeah well i i think so i mean i'd like to see him try number of people are saying that there is that one suburbia that's um on blue mound road um yes that that's still that is still open. It's they, they had a couple other ones, and I, I, I mean, I, I, I remember their Miles Standish. There, that's their their turkey sub and stuff. Let's uh, let's see. Let's talk to Linda in Milwaukee. Linda, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Linda. Um, I am calling in response to your big boy uh-huh. um, questions. I, I think it would be great to have a big boy back. I worked for them for 15 years. Um, I was a district service manager, and uh, and the big boy suit actually lived at my house for many years. My daughter was the big boy. Okay. Uh, we did so many parades. We worked with the brewers. We have great memories of working with uh, Paul Molitor and Sal Bando, and had pictures with that with her and with them. Right. Uh, and. Uh, Many of my peers have a group called uh, Friends of Mark's Big Boy, right? And uh, the conversation is, let's 
bring back Big Boy. <laughs> and uh, so many of them would be willing to do it, actually. Yeah, I'd say, and I think um, it would be great. And I think it could be more than a nostalgia act. I mean, I think that there's generations of people out there who... Who who like the fact that you could you could get these iconic things and you could get them for reasonable prices and all? I'm I'm with you there, Linda. Isn't that true? Yeah, and, it, uh, and I never I worked with uh, so many hardworking people that uh, many are still my friends. Uh, well, and, uh, that is, that is outstanding. Time. Well, well, I'm thanks for calling, Linda. I I miss them. So for for those of you, at least for those three restaurants, it, it's not gone but forgotten. It, it's it's not gone but forgotten. It's maybe making a comeback. They're looking at expanding big boys. They're looking at expanding the shakies. They're looking at expanding the ground rounds. And like I said, I know you've got the one in uh, there's there's one of those in Brookfield. Who knows? Maybe that's going to be the future. Everything old is new again. It's 2.55. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around. 2.58, Jeff Wagner. Okay, John and Melissa, quick story. This is why I love our listeners. I was talking about how last night at this event, I almost bought this, like, M&M statue. Yeah, you know, yeah. the, like the, okay. okay, but I, I, my, my wife was very glad that I resisted. One of our, our listeners who runs a hardware store said, we, we've got these here. I'll give you one. Now, I can't take one for free and all, but, <laughs> but I do M&M know. It's a statue? I, I, right. No, it's about, five, it's about four and a half feet tall. It's like the M&M, the talking M&M. Yeah, thing yeah, from, yeah. And, yeah. and then they, over their head, they're holding this like thing where you put M&Ms in. I wanted it for the foyer of the house.